afternoon or evening, depending on when you're listening to this. Even late night. This probably wouldn't be a good late night podcast, though. Might put you to sleep. Unless that's what you want. Hey, that could be my niche. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Ian Castleberry. I'm a writer, editor, and podcaster. You can currently find my work at iancastleberry.com. That's C-A-S-S-E-L-B-E-R-R-Y. The lady at the UPS store got that wrong, and uh, I thought I didn't get a package because of it. You can also find me through Twitter at Ian Cass. It's been a good week. Hopefully the same is true for you. You people, and you know who I mean by you people, continue to be great with your interest and support. I appreciate the likes and comments on our Facebook page, which can be found at facebook.com slash the podcasts and the texts and emails I've received with feedback. We'll share a bit of that toward the end of this episode. Okay, let's jump right in. It's not a great movie weekend, unless you're a parent taking your kid to the animated Abominable, or a big Judy Garland fan who wants to see Renee Zellweger portray the icon in Judy. I might get dragged into that. So it's a good time to catch up on some movies for the past week or two. This is Major Roy McBride. I'm attempting to reach Dr. Clifford McBride. This is Dr. McBride's son. Dad, I'd like to see you again. Ad Astra. Brad Pitt in space. Months ago, when I saw a sponsored post for the trailer for Ad Astra pop up in my Twitter timeline... I thought Brad Pitt was doing a car commercial, making sure Matthew McConaughey didn't get all that territory. That misperception was quickly corrected once I clicked on the trailer. So Brad Pitt is doing his space movie. I forget who wrote this or where I read it, and I would love to give him or her, but I'm pretty sure it was a him, credit for saying that every big actor has to do a space movie in his career, because it sure seems true. George Clooney did Solaris, then Gravity. Hell, let's give Sandra Bullock her space movie here, too. Matt Damon had The Martian. McConaughey did Interstellar. Tom Hanks did Apollo 13. Ryan Gosling was in the criminally overlooked First Man last year. Seriously, what happened there? Can we put Hugh Jackman in The Fountain in this category? Does Mark Wahlberg in Planet of the Apes count? Will Smith in Independence Day? Really, the only current star who hasn't gone into space is Leonardo DiCaprio, right? I mean, yeah, Robert De Niro and Al Pacino haven't been on a spaceship either, but I'm talking more about today's big movie stars. I'm sure there's someone I'm forgetting. Email me at thepodcast at gmail.com if I'm making a glaring omission. Okay, we're getting off track. Some people are going to hate Ad Astra. For example, friends of the podcast, Neil Turrets and Ryan Beeman on the Unduly Noted podcast, beat this movie up pretty hard on their show this week. It's a slow, ponderous film, and if you're not in the mood for that, you might be rustling in your seat, checking the time, and wondering when something will happen. There are some action sequences that bring some intensity to this movie, yet it sort of feels like they were inserted because either director James Gray or a studio executive thought a little more excitement was needed. We've been having trouble with pirates since September. Some countries been giving them safe haven. They'll take hostages or go for our rovers. It's like the Wild West out there. 
your first time in the war zone? Three years over the Arctic Circle. All right. And a heck of a lot of Army-Navy games. <laughs> well, I guess that's not much you ever seen, right? I very much enjoyed Ad Astra. I don't know if I can say I loved it, because it's not a movie that really gives you something to embrace or grabs you by the shoulders and excites you. But I really like that it provided me something to think about. And the visuals are fantastic. Hauntingly beautiful at times in depicting the vastness of outer space and the solitude and quiet horror of silence. I really enjoyed the world created for this film, which is futuristic but still grounded in a sense of reality. The spacesuits and rockets aren't too fancy beyond what we're familiar with. Really, the space program hasn't looked cooler on film. But the story also includes colonies on the moon and bases on Mars, so we're not talking about a future that's, say, 25 years from now. Maybe 50? 50 might be too far ahead, especially with the implication that Earth isn't a desirable environment for humanity anymore. And how far are we away from that? Yet this movie is really about daddy issues. Sins of the father passed on to the son, etc. Maybe it's because I had my own issues with my father until my late 20s, early 30s. But whenever I see that in culture, especially in movies, I usually want to roll my eyes. And that had me a bit hesitant with Ad Astra. Ostensibly, Brad Pitt's character, Roy McBride, is being sent on a mission to deep space, out to Neptune, to either rescue his father or stop whatever it is he's doing to create flares or surges that are wreaking havoc back on Earth. Who better to figure out or confront the old astronaut who may have lost his mind and gone psychotic than his son? What I find especially intriguing is the idea that maybe greatness can only be achieved by leaving some humanity behind. It's mentioned several times that McBride's heart rate never goes above 80. He's cool. Maybe too cool to the point of being emotionless. That lack of emotion might compel some to criticize Pitt's performance. But that makes McBride a great astronaut. He stays calm under pressure. His focus never wavers. But that also might make him a bad human being. Certainly it makes him an inaccessible husband. There are references to rage issues, which presumably manifested itself in relationships. He appears to have no friends. He's alone. Is that the lesson that Roy thinks he learned from his father, who left his family behind for the Lima Project mission, to spend the rest of his life in space? Did Roy become an astronaut to understand his father? How likely is it that Roy became an astronaut so he could confront his father about the emotional legacy he left to his son? Major, what can you tell us about the Lima Project? First manned expedition to the outer solar system, sir? some 29 years ago. And the commander was? It was my father, sir. The ship disappeared approximately 16 years into the mission. And no data was ever recovered. Deep space missions were halted after that. Well, Roy, we have something that might come as quite a shock to you. We believe your father is still alive near Neptune. My father's alive, sir? Roy's quest, or maybe it's an escape considering that he's leaving Earth and whatever life he had there behind, isn't a solitary one, however. Maybe spiritually, but he can't really do this alone, and I don't think the movie addresses the consequences of Roy's mission, how it affects several people he encounters along the way. 
Maybe that's part of the compartmentalization that success and focus often require. Or maybe we're supposed to believe that Roy eventually gets to a place where he acknowledges what happened in order for him to solve his personal crisis. I don't know if all that makes Ad Astra sound appealing to you or turns you off from it. I think it's definitely worth seeing and on the big screen so you can take in all of those beautiful visuals. I also tend to think that watching a movie with slow, quiet moments and pace and long takes isn't as compelling when there are so many distractions around at home. This is also a great performance from Brad Pitt, whom I haven't often been impressed with as an actor. Sure, he's always appealing, but has become less reliant on his looks and charm and challenges himself more now. Roy McBride is also quite a contrast from Cliff Booth, Pitt's character in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. No, Cliff's not the rigid disciplinarian Roy is, but he's kind of the ideal, the male archetype that Roy is trying to confront. I'll give Ad Astra four and a half out of five stars. It affected me more personally than I was expecting. Father of mine, tell me where have you been? You know I just closed my eyes, my whole world disappeared. Father of mine, take me back to the day. Yeah, when I was still your golden boy, back before you went away. Okay, I'm going to talk about one more movie, which is like the complete opposite of Ad Astra. It's hilarious that Rambo Last Blood was released on the same weekend. But let's break up the two movie reviews with my Y Sports Radio NFL segment with Pat Ryan from Thursday. There's actually a brief mention of Rambo at the end of it, so that's kind of a lead-in. Ian, good to have you in. Uh, we just heard top of the hour Fox Sports update. Uh, looks like Melvin Gordon is going to be reporting uh, to the Chargers today. Much needed. They're one and two. They're they're surviving in the running game, but um, Melvin Gordon is the man. This is this is huge for San Diego. Yeah, uh, one and two, but only thirteenth in the NFL in rushing. Philip Rivers having a great season uh, passing. The Chargers, you know, they've gotten good production out of Austin Eckler. He's got 160 yards rushing, but you wonder if they would be even better with Melvin Gordon. Uh, you have to think the Chargers uh, are a better team with Gordon. Uh, Melvin Gordon gambled with this holdout, and, you know, he lost. You know, he wanted a salary that was up there with Ezekiel Elliott and Todd Gurley, you know, making upwards of $13 million uh, to $15 million a season. Gordon's going to set to make uh, $4.6 million from here on out. He'll play the season. He says he's not going to uh, uh, re-sign with the Chargers. You know, the Chargers do something like franchising him. But I think uh, the, the number that Gordon wants uh, is certainly in place. But you have to wonder if the Chargers really think uh, he's worth the money. And really, I think Todd Gurley, you look at him, he's one of the highest-paid running backs uh in the NFL, is that a cautionary tale? Because look at what he's done and how much he's been injured since he signed that deal with the Los Angeles Rams. Yeah, that's the that's the problem with running backs. Uh, they get injured a lot. And, you know, look at Zeke Elliott. I mean, that's a great deal for Zeke and, you know, hopefully a good deal for the Cowboys until he gets, you know, if he gets hurt, uh, then all bets are off. So same with Melvin Gordon. Uh, we'll see how that one goes. And 
Obviously, uh, he is now going to be back in camp, and again, that's going to be big for the Chargers to have any chance at the postseason. Um, also, too, it looks like the NFL and the NFL Players Association, you know, the uh, bargaining collective bargaining agreement uh, comes to an end after the tw- 2020 season. So right now they're, 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 they're working on a few things, and I, I think the big development here, Ian, is that in, in essence, the player or the the owners want to expand from sixteen to seventeen games uh, a season. All right, that that sounds like you know if it's just a game. And I used to be like all about that, but you know you got to take in player concussions. And we're talking about player safety, and it's like, well, great, they're they're concerned about player safety. Now they're adding a game, but the caveat for the players' association is they completely wipe out preseason. I'm not sure that's a good idea if you've seen the players that, you know, have been held out all preseason, how they've kind of gotten off some of them to a rough start. Um, I think you need the preseason to a degree, just a warm-up. It's like imagine Major League Baseball without spring training or the NBA without the NBA preseason games. It just seems like that would be a little too a little too much. How do you think this is going to square out? Because there's still some negotiating and a lot of it still to come. I think the question of whether or not there should be preseason games uh, is a very interesting one. I think we need at least two, or NFL teams probably need at least two, but the, the Rams ruined uh, NFL preseason last year by holding out all of their starters, and then they go to the Super Bowl. So we saw this uh, this offseason, or this preseason, excuse me, plenty of teams following suit. You know, their starters weren't playing. They didn't want to get anybody to get hurt. As you said, some of those players uh, have been up to rough starts. Uh, I think one more game uh, in the regular season is feasible, 17 games. Uh, you'll remember uh, there was talk about an 18-game regular season, but then uh, players would only play in 16 games, uh, which that never seemed viable. I mean, what if uh, you know you bought tickets to see uh, the Kansas City Chiefs play? Patrick Mahomes isn't playing that day. I mean, yeah, that, that really screws you over as a fan. But if you uh, eliminate two, let's say three preseason games, uh, and add one regular season game. I think that's feasible. Also, uh, under consideration, you know, is expanding the playoff field. I don't know if that's something that's really good either. Uh, you know, you, you want making the playoffs to matter. You want the best teams to be uh, in the postseason. But, uh, you know, NFL owners, they want more revenue that would come with uh, expanding the schedule. And it sounds uh, like, like there's a lot of support uh, to go to a 17 game regular season. We'll see how it plays out. Obviously, the you know they got the owners have to give, and there seems like they're ready to do that for sure, which is kind of rare in those negotiations. Um, all right, Ian. Now we move on uh, to other goodies. Cam uh, is out four to eight weeks with that foot issue, and it's it can be it's a painful issue, and it lingers as well. So, uh, first, Cam played with a bum shoulder last year. Now we're hearing the team was maybe aware of that foot issue in preseason, yet Cam still played, and it bothers me that we've all kind of jumped on Cam, and and yet you know. This isn't all Cam's fault. He probably should not have been out uh, there in some of these games. So basically the Panthers have done Cam no favors in how they've dealt with his injuries, Ian. Yeah, uh, the Panthers, I think, really mishandled uh, Cam Newton after that, that foot injury that he suffered in the third preseason game. There was some question as to how serious it may have been. Cam returned to practice uh, 11 days later, which was clearly too soon. And there was a lot of disagreement between the medical staff, the coaching staff, maybe Newton himself, as to just how serious uh, this injury is. Now, if it is a Liz Frank uh, ligament injury, which uh, is uh, kind of the top of the foot, the midfoot, I remember uh, back in the days when I was covering Detroit sports, Kevin Jones of the Lions suffered that injury, and he was never uh, the same player again. Ryan Khalil had surgery on that for the Panthers in 2012. He missed the 2012 season with that. So if this is something that needs surgery, 
Cam Newton's season uh, is over. But if it's something, uh, regardless, he's going to be out six uh, to eight weeks. Um, it looks like uh, the Panthers uh, should have handled this better, should not have tried to bring Cam back. Now they're trying to make up for that and saying he's going to be back when he's uh, 100%. Yeah. So if he's out six to eight weeks, it sounds like he's going to miss at least three more games uh, this coming week against the Texans, the Jags, uh, against uh, the Buccaneers in London. The timetable would be that he'd be back after the October 20th bye, uh, which, which would be uh, at week seven. But then the question becomes, what if Kyle Allen goes 4-0 mm-hmm. during that time? Uh, then uh, Ron Rivera has a Tom Brady, a Drew Bledsoe situation on his hands. Yeah, well, you know, Ron Rivera's job's uh, hanging in the balance. So you, you think he's going to shut down Kyle Allen if he's leading the team to wins? I, I don't think that's going to happen. And, you know, I think Cam takes – there's a little blame with Cam, too, because Cam wants to get back out there. And, you know, Shoup always says, man, we listen to the training staff. You know, that's who we listen to. And if the training staff says he can go or he can't go, that's how we go. And it just seems like, like when you say like there's been debate back and forth between the coaching staff, the training staff, maybe even camp, it's like that shouldn't even be a debate. It should be the trainer right. saying, yeah, he can't do this right now. He needs to be out for this long, and this is how it's going to be. And, um, yeah, I just question how the Panthers have handled Cam's injuries. And, and quite frankly, and this was something interesting she brought up on Monday. You know, you said Kyle Allen looks like he fits in the Norv system pretty good, pretty well, man. Uh, you know, Norv probably, he said Norv probably came into the building on Monday going, yeah, it's not, it's not the system. Uh, and Kyle Allen looked very comfortable there. So, uh, he gets to start and it's going to be a little tougher defense, no doubt, as uh, they go down to play Houston this Sunday. Uh, in Castleberry with the wise guys, NFL gold nuggets with the end presented by DC Creaseman Jewelers. Uh, congrats to DC coming up in November, serving this community for 40 years. Ian, I never thought I'd hear Aaron Rodgers say Green Bay's offense needs to catch up with the defense, but he did. Uh, the pack reloaded big time uh, on defense. They do look far better, but the offense, after three games, 28th uh, in the league. Now, Ian, looks like Rodgers and new head coach Matt LaFleur maybe still trying to figure things out? Yeah, uh, 23rd uh, in the NFL in points. Also, you mentioned number 28 uh, in NFL total offense. Uh, they're at, the Packers are averaging under uh, 200 yards passing per game, which uh, you would just, you know, that's a stunning statistic for a team that has Aaron Rodgers uh, at quarterback. But I think this goes back to some of the problems uh, that, that go back into the offseason between Aaron Rodgers and the Packers' new coach, uh, Matt LaFleur. Uh, you, you'll remember uh, Rodgers wanted more control over audibles like he had in Mike McCarthy's system. LaFleur doesn't like uh, quarterbacks uh, to have that much control. But I think even more importantly, LaFleur's offense incorporates a lot of longer developing pass routes uh, that take longer for guys to get open. So defenses are reacting by dropping more players back in coverage. So it's, it's harder to, uh, uh, for Aaron Rodgers to find somebody down the field. Uh, also, there's a problem with the, the Packers receiving core uh, in general. Uh, Devontae Adams, uh, Marquez Valdez, uh, Scantling are, are, are playing well, but they don't really have a game breaker, a threat that can separate defenders, you know, that, that can provide a home run type threat uh, down the field. Uh, so I, I think, uh, you know, do they need to get more uh, better receivers? Do they need to draft better? That's question probably uh, not for this season. And I think the Packers really need to improve their running game. They haven't had a thousand yard running back since 2014 with Eddie Lacy. Uh, Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams have been splitting uh, duties there, but neither of them really a game breaker at running back either. Oh boy. Yeah. You know, I, honestly, I know Matt LaFleur is a great offensive mind, but man, if I'm coming into the Packers organization 
and I've got Aaron Rodgers, I just turn to Aaron Rodgers and say, what do you want to run? <laughs> you know, I mean, at this point, he's Aaron Rodgers. Uh, let him stay comfortable, but uh, maybe Aaron, and he seems to be handling it really well. Whether he's frustrated or not, you can't really tell uh, with Aaron Rodgers. But I'm sure he's got to be frustrated with the team 28th in offense after three weeks. So we'll see where it goes. Packers and Eagles coming up tonight. Uh, Ian, we may get your your uh, your pick on that coming up here in just a moment. All right, Ian, after only three weeks, are there some coaches who see maybe warming up just a little bit? Oh, I think you have to put at the top of that list Jay Gruden of the Washington Redskins. 0-3, they were terrible uh, against Chicago. Uh, on Monday night, national TV audience, uh, interest in the Redskins, uh, has just plummeted. I mean, you know, you probably remember, you know, we used to hear for years, oh, there was a waiting list for season tickets. Uh, Redskins, you know, they're the biggest game in town and, and now they have trouble filling, uh, FedEx field. Uh, they haven't been able to get an offense together. Uh, maybe, uh, defensive coordinator Greg Minuski gets fired, uh, to, to help Jay Gruden, but I, I would definitely look at Jay Gruden. Dan Quinn, one and two uh, with the Atlanta Falcons. If you'd asked me before the season who was going to be the first coach fired, I would have picked Dan Quinn. Freddie Kitchens, one and two uh, Cleveland Browns, and they looked pretty bad uh, on Sunday night. Definitely a disappointing start there. And even though it's not really the way the Pittsburgh Steelers do business, they are 0-3, and I think uh, it has to be called into question uh, whether or not Mike Tomlin oh, is on the hot seat. Not Tomlin. No. Don't tell me that, Ian. Oh, my God. I love Mike Tomlin. And, you know, the, the Steelers have been doing some things that are uh, against the way or different from the way they've usually done business, you know, making in-season trades uh, for Minka Fitzpatrick, uh, for Mike Verrett, uh, the uh, Seahawks tight end, uh, you know, kind of going uh, for it now, trying to get players who can help them now to give uh, Mason Rudolph, excuse me, some more weapons. Yeah, Mike Tomlin, uh, you know, you wonder, is he is he losing that team? Did he lose it last season with what happened with Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell? If they continue to struggle, Pittsburgh probably uh, one of the most disappointing teams in the NFL, uh, and, you know, his job could uh, it could cost him his job. Oh, man, uh, I, I hope not. I hope the Steelers can get this turned around, but uh, with ben, Big Ben out, uh, it's going to be a tough one. But what's interesting, Freddie Kitchens, you know what? They should just, like, hold the postgame press conferences at a bar. Because he looks like he looks like a Browns fan at the bar um, when he you know he's got the he's he's you know he's he's he hasn't shaved in like four days uh, he he just looks like he's a guy that would be down at the end going hey what's going on with the Cleveland Browns for God's sakes I mean what the hell is happening out there and he's sitting there honest as all get out I appreciate his honesty he even said yeah that was a really bad call. Uh, to call a draw play on fourth and nine. I, I still don't know what he was Ugh. thinking. I mean, no one knows what he was thinking. I think even Freddie doesn't even know what he was thinking there. But uh, that did not help uh, his situation. And, I, I, you know, their owner, Jimmy Haslam, I, I guarantee you if things keep going south, he will pull the plug before the season ends. He, he's already done that before. We're joined by Ian Castleberry, NFL uh, Gold Nuggets, presented by David Creaseman and D.C. Creaseman Jewelers. All right, Ian, looks like disgruntled Jags quarterback uh, Jarius Ramsey ended his uh, sick out and returned to his uh, his team yesterday. But, Ian, what's his status for Sunday? He, I guess he still wants to be traded? Well, Ramsey's not going to play Sunday, uh, but uh, he left the team to, so that he could fly to Nashville uh, to be there uh, for the birth of his second child. And it sounds like uh, he's not going to be available. Uh, but as you pointed out, Ramsey also claimed uh, earlier in the week that he had the flu and uh, he, he couldn't report to practice. Then he came back on Wednesday, but he said his hamstrings and his back hurt. 
so he couldn't participate in practice. I feel like if the Jaguars really wanted to trade him, they would have. As you pointed out last week, uh, he probably shouldn't have played in that Thursday night game if the Jaguars wanted to trade him. There are plenty of teams lining up uh, that, that want to make a deal for Jalen Ramsey. But Jalen Ramsey clearly doesn't want to play for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And even though uh, t- the owner, Shad Khan, wants to keep uh, Jalen Ramsey, you know, he wanted to keep the team's best players, uh, a popular player. Is it really the best thing for the Jacksonville Jaguars to keep Jalen Ramsey around or to trade him and get at least uh, a first-round draft pick, maybe even two, in return? Uh, I think it, the, the Jaguars definitely need to move on from Jalen Ramsey. He's becoming a distraction every single week. Yeah, agreed on that. And you can't have those distractions around. Uh, a lot of coaches will tell you that, man. It's just you've got to be uber-talented, and he is. Uh, but, man, when you're, like, asking, you've had a major meltdown on the sideline with your coach, and you're demanding to be traded. I mean, I'm sorry. Um, everyone, teams will say, you know what? We're focusing on the next opponent. I'm thinking, no, you're not. You're like drawn up in all of this. Uh, what a mess. Ian, before we let you go, what other week store for uh, week four storylines? Pardon me. Are you following? I'm circling that Patriots Bills game uh, on the schedule. You know, the Buffalo Bills, three and zero start hosting the Patriots. Are they for real? You know, how are they going to look? Uh, can they give the Patriots? Uh, a run, you know, uh, have, can they challenge the Patriots in the AFC East? And on the other side, the Patriots have not allowed an offensive touchdown this season. Will that continue against the Bills, uh, and, and improving Josh Allen? Or, you know, will the Bills, uh, finally break through and score an offensive touchdown against that New England defense? Wow. I'm thinking New England comes in and destroys Buffalo. If they don't, then good on Buffalo. Maybe we're uh, giving Buffalo, or not giving them enough, um, you know, not lo- enough love early on. But uh, you know what? New England until further notice. I know we all all get excited, and the Bills haven't really played, you know, the class of uh, the NFL. We all know that Engl- New England will be that first game. I'd say New England rolls on this one, and we'll wait and see. That'll be one of the games I'm sure we pick uh, for our Week Four NFL picks hey buddy appreciate you as always great work ian and uh we always appreciate your knowledge we're looking forward to catching up with you on monday show for some more baseball headlines congrats to the nats by the way as uh they made uh it will be at least they'll be in the wild card um playoffs so good for them and by the way dude i recently saw angel has fallen good movie oh what'd you think of it i really liked it really good yeah oh, man. nice and uh you know i saw rambo last night and uh, i'm not saying it's a great movie but if you like violence ridiculous violence go see rambo last blood that movie is ridiculous <laughs> what are you talking about yeah man that's my man <laughs> appreciate you buddy chat uh, chat with you monday okay thank you pat you got it thank you bud uh, there you have it somebody told me i sounded more excitable there i actually did have to kind of rush to the phone to get ready for that segment which i'm sure happens a lot more than people know but i hope it didn't come across on the air Did I sound smart talking about the Green Bay Packers running game in light of what happened Thursday night? We didn't get a prediction in there, but that was a must-win game for the Philadelphia Eagles, 34-27. I mean, they lost at home to the Detroit Lions last Sunday. I hope I get a chance to talk some Eagles with Ziggy at Ziggy's Bakery and Deli here in Asheville. She loves the Eagles, but it's been a rough start to their season. Pat mentioned that he saw Angel Has Fallen. That was actually the last movie I reviewed on his show before we switched over to a weekly NFL segment. Not exactly the movie I would have imagined for that last review, but that's how it ended up working out. 
I also reviewed Angel Has Fallen a couple of months ago for Mountain Express, our alternative news weekly in Asheville. I'll link to it in the show notes at thepodcast.com. Let's take a quick break so I can ask you to please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. You might have to search under my name, Ian Castleberry, C-A-S-S-E-L-B-E-R-R-Y, until we get a few more shows in our archive. Also, please leave a rating, or even better, a review if you're so inspired. We can use the signal boost in that big Apple Podcast space. Any feedback you can offer is very much appreciated, and I don't take that time or effort for granted. The podcast is also available for listening, downloads, and subscriptions on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Overcast, iHeartRadio, and there's something called Himalaya now. I'll try to get on that if you use it. Oh, and TuneIn. Being on TuneIn means you should be able to listen to this on Amazon Echo, but Alexa can't quite pick up the difference between podcasts and podcast. Yeah, maybe I should have picked a different name. But you can still find us on the TuneIn app and website if that's how you like to listen to your podcasts. Thank you for listening and downloading. You don't seem to want to accept the fact that you're dealing with an expert in guerrilla warfare. With a man who's the best. With guns, with knives, with his bare hands. A man who's been trained to ignore pain. Ignore weather. To live off the land. To eat things and to make a billy goat puke. In Vietnam, his job was to dispose of enemy personnel. To kill. Period. And now, Rambo. Rambo Last Blood. A title which probably tells you everything about this movie. The Last Stand of John Rambo. A character who already received a fitting ending in 2008's Rambo. Sylvester Stallone should have just left him on that Arizona ranch, training horses and repairing tractors for the rest of his life. His Vietnam veteran turned virtual superhero finally left war, service to his country, and his self-imposed exile in Thailand behind. But maybe Stallone saw Logan two years ago and thought Rambo could get a final story like Wolverine did. Stallone should have left it alone, man. A better version of this story exists in Rambo Last Blood, but Stallone and the other two writers credited who worked on this script, nor director Adrian Grunberg, aren't interested in exploring how a man trained to be a weapon can't escape violence or can't truly find peace. Maybe he should have traveled to Neptune with Brad Pitt. All these years I've kept my secrets. But the time has come to face my past. And if it comes looking for me, they will welcome death. If this was the same John Rambo introduced in First Blood nearly 40 years ago, which is a really good movie, maybe we would have gotten that kind of story. If a director with an outside, more personal view like Ryan Coogler had with Creed, maybe that kind of movie could have been made. But I doubt many creators have that same connection to the Rambo character. Besides, Stallone turned Rambo into a caricature, a machine gun lugging, superhero killing machine, and never came back from that. Rambo 2 and Rambo 3 tried to say something about how POWs were treated and, interestingly, the then-Soviet Union's role in arming Afghanistan. But mostly they were about blowing shit up real good, excessive violence, and Stallone showing off his fantastically, generously oiled physique. Hey man, he looked great. Sir, 
we get the win this time? This time it's up to you. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to act like I'm above or didn't like those films. I like big action and violence as much as anyone. There were so many of those kinds of movies in the 1980s, too. I practically grew up on them. Give Stallone credit for knowing what he did really well and giving the people what they wanted. He's still doing that to this day, though the nostalgic appetite for Rambo isn't the same as for Rocky Balboa. What's kind of strange about this movie is that there really isn't a connection to the previous Rambo films. Maybe that's good. You don't need to have seen the other four movies. But then, I don't know why you'd bother seeing Last Blood if you had no connection to or affection for Rambo. Maybe if you're a Stallone fan? Or you just know that this is going to be a gratuitously violent bloodbath, much like the fourth Rambo movie was, and that's your thing. If so, you'll love this movie. Hey, a movie about a vengeful uncle who's really good at combat? Yeah, man, that's one of my fantasies. The violence here is so ridiculous, so excessive, that it's actually kind of funny. Rambo Last Blood probably works best as a black comedy, like what John Rambo dreams of inflicting upon the evils in this world. I finally came home. Defend the only family I've ever known. The better title for this would have been Rambo Overkill. That could be applied to the number of people he slaughters in vengeance, but it's more appropriate for the way Rambo terminates most of the sex trafficking cartel's operatives with extreme prejudice. Almost every guy Rambo takes out first gets impaled with some kind of pitchfork, spike, or spear. Then if that wasn't enough, Rambo walks by and blows their head into pieces with a sawed-off shotgun. This could also be called Rambo Chekhov's gun, because everything that's referenced, a booby trap that Rambo is building, blades that he's sharpening, shells full of magnesium shards, you see how he uses all of that stuff. This is a grindhouse movie, man. Blood, bones, brain, entrails are all over the screen. And the end, oh my god, the end, in which a figure of speech is acted out literally. It's hilarious! Someday, someone should clip the climactic footage and recut it as a slasher film. Maybe I'll take a swing at a short story from the point of view of the henchman. Not to say these bad guys don't deserve it. We're talking about drug-dealing sex traffickers who kidnap young girls and ruin their lives. But Rambo is clearly working out some of his own issues here. To the writer's credit, there are at least two things that happen in the story that were unexpected, which makes this movie more intriguing than it probably otherwise would have been. But Rambo Last Blood is still not a very good movie, and it's virtually impossible to take seriously. And it's not the final tale that a character which could have had some interesting things to say to an audience deserves. Stallone could have made that movie, but he did this instead. To me, the final credits underline that point, rather than serve as the tribute intended. Two out of five stars for Rambo Last Blood. It's maybe worth checking out on streaming or cable when it's available, especially if you're in the mood for some explosive violence, love Sylvester Stallone, or want to play drinking games with the multiple stabbings, beheadings, broken limbs, and obliterated craniums.
All right. In our last episode, I said I was going to talk about Michigan football and Jim Harbaugh, both of which have performed far below expectations. But by the time this posts, Michigan will probably have played the follow-up to last Saturday's demoralizing 35-14 loss at Wisconsin. Michigan fans lost their minds and are in existential crisis over the Harbaugh era in Ann Arbor. A fellow Michigan fan here in Asheville who often goes unhinged on social media said he was done watching Michigan football until Harbaugh is fired. Yeah, right. He'll be watching the Wolverines play Rutgers on Saturday. Fans are entitled to react emotionally. It's what makes sports fun. But how can you take someone seriously when he or she says something like that? But more on that after the Rutgers game, which hopefully takes the form of Michigan getting some things right with its new offense, its Shea Butterfingers quarterback, and a defense which gives up too many big plays now. There's still time to wash out the taste of disappointment, but it doesn't necessarily look likely. Before we close this out, corrections! I was... (laughs) You mean you were wrong? There are a couple of oversights or outright errors from our last episode that feel like they're worth mentioning. First, Mike McCleary began his Detroit Tigers podcast titled The Daily Fungo, like his blog, in 2006, before rebranding it as The Detroit Tigers Podcast in 2007. Either way, you can find archives of those shows at thedailyfungo.com. Mike did some really good interviews on a variety of baseball subjects over the years. And previously mentioned great friend of the podcast, Neil Turritz, a diehard Boston Red Sox fan, made sure, damn sure, to point out to me that Alex Cora, who, you know, won the World Series last year, is probably the best example of a recent manager hired with no experience who achieved great success. That is absolutely correct. Rocco Baldelli, whose Minnesota Twins just clinched the AL Central, and have 100 wins on the season was one I wanted to mention as well. Dave Roberts, Davey Martinez, David Bell, Kevin Cash, Brandon Hyde, Chris Woodward, and Gabe Kapler also fit into that category. That's probably the way the San Diego Padres will go too in hiring their next manager, despite names like Joe Madden, Mike Sosha, and Joe Girardi being available. Maybe Madden replaces Kapler with the Phillies? Everything else? Yeah, I totally got right. Probably. Especially in dunking on my former podcast partner. You know how many episode titles he misspelled when posting our podcasts? Okay, be an adult, Ian. And that's the podcast. Thank you for listening. I'd love to hear from you at thepodcasts at gmail.com or our Facebook page, Twitter, or Instagram at thepodcasts. Any feedback you provide would be appreciated. Happy birthday to my niece, the middle one who says she's the big one because she's big to her friends. Six years old. Hey, what are you doing listening to a podcast? Until next time, flying to Neptune or driving to Mexico will probably not solve your daddy issues. Take care. (laughs) 